The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Steve Grasso, Bono and Ice, and Nadine Turman and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, we're following major new developments in the wake of that massive hack attack. One top cybersecurity firm issuing a dire warning tonight that hackers could strike again within the coming hours. We'll bring you all the late-breaking details straight ahead. Also ahead, a handful of big-name companies getting inducted into the all-time high club today. So should you fade these record runs? And later, our chart of the week, the stock soaring 20% since Monday and giving new meaning to the term high flyer. That is a big, big old hint. We will reveal that name coming up. We start off with a record finish to a wild week on Wall Street. The Dow and S&P 500 notching new all-time highs, while tech took another tumble. The XLK Tech ETF now down more than 5% from the record high it hit exactly one month ago today. Among the biggest losers, PayPal's down 15%, AMD, NVIDIA down 13%, Salesforce down 10%. So tonight, you get to choose your own adventure in the tech trade. Are the best days behind us, or is this a big old buying opportunity? Steve Grasso, kick it off. I think the best days are behind uh, behind for tech. I, if this is a, a textbook rendition of why you don't buy growth in a rising rate environment. Everyone on this panel has talked about it. Other panels on the show have talked about it. This is something where the, what's unbelievable to me, though, Melissa, is that everyone will rush back in. Human nature is you only buy what you know. So people think they understand an NVIDIA or a PayPal or a Salesforce. So when they sell off, what do they think? Buying opportunity. And until you really get burned a number of times, you continue to rush into that burning house. So I think when people start to expand their base of stocks that they quote unquote know, you're going to see this repetitive nature of getting burned time and time again. So I do believe you're going to see the Russell continue its outperformance. I do believe you're going to see chemical names, material names, industrial names continue their outperformance. So I, uh, for the near term, tech's best days are behind it. Oh, that's quite a metaphor, Grasso. I mean, to compare certain tech stocks to a burning house, rushing in, getting burned, et cetera. I mean, Nadine, can you tell me, can you look me straight in the eye and say Alphabet's a burning house or Apple's a burning house? I mean, I thought these were value trades in technology. We're seeing this sell-off pretty much indiscriminate across tech stocks, harder, of course, amongst the higher multiple names, but, but also taking the big cap tech stocks. Is that the way we should look at this? Well, I agree with you in that I don't, wouldn't call them burning houses because fundamentally they're pretty solid, right? But what you ha do see right now is there's more downside than upside. And I think that's what Steve's getting at here. We're looking at last week when there was a lot of volatility, these things were trading at an implied volatility premium. What does that mean? 
It means that people are paying more for protection last week, but this week they're trading at a discount. So a lot of that protection that they bought at expensive prices, they either unwound it or they're not buying it this week. So the asymmetry, which I think is what Steve's getting at here, is really not in your favor. So you have to be really careful. So what do we do is we, we do trade the chop. So it's not to say that you get to buy on one day that's a dip and hold forever. It's more of a trading environment. Yeah. Jeff, it, it, from a previous call when we were planning out the show, that's what it sounded like you, you viewed, how you viewed tech trade right now, that it's tradable at this point. Exactly. I think Nadine phrased it absolutely perfectly. And I, I agree with everything Steve said with the caveat that I think it's maybe tradable in the very short term. So if you think about stocks like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, throw in NVIDIA, Spotify, these are companies that are now at longer term technical support. So I think that's a good thing. And if you go to last week, you only had 20 percent of the triple Q's trading above their 50-day moving average. That's usually a pretty good signal of at least a tradable low. It's not always perfect timing, but I think it gets you in the neighborhood. Uh, and I think sentiment in terms of bonds is becoming pretty bearish right now. So rates could trade sideways for a bit. So then you could play this oversold condition that we have right now in tech. But I do think that cyclicals rule the day longer term. And I think a lot of it is going to come in the summertime when we get these inflation fears. You know, right now, if you look at 40 percent of the people who aren't working, um, they're actually making more money because of the stimulus than they would if they had jobs. So I think you could have this labor shortage just as the economy is starting to pick up steam. Folks get really concerned about inflation. And what does that do? It pushes nominal interest rates higher. Not good for tech. Uh, on the flip side, I think what that does is it pushes real rates actually lower. So it continues to force people out the risk curve into stocks, mm -hmm. and it's likely into cyclicals under those conditions. Yeah. Bono in. Um, do you think tech is oversold right here? And do you think it's tradable? Or do you think, do you think the play is really to just go all in cyclicals? Um, no, I, I definitely don't think that the play is going all in cyclicals. But I, I think that there's a lot of merit to what the other panelists have been saying. Right. So the way I, I really like the question that you asked and what you said is, you know, are the best dates behind it? Well, are we going back to a pandemic induced situation where tech is going to outperform? Where we're at historically low rates. That's not coming back. So to expect to make four or five hundred percent in these names, I think that's a bit outlandish. So do I expect that to be replicated in the short term or long term? No, I don't. With that said, I do not think you should be throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There are different subsectors within technology. Facebook, Apple, these names are trading in high 20s uh, price to earnings. Google's trading at like 30, 31. Compare that to some of these names like CrowdStrike that are trading at two, 300 times price to earnings. So there, there needs to be some decoupling. So I, I'm just not with the notion of saying tech as a whole, you can't invest or trade in it. I do think you do need to slide further back on the risk curve into names that have uh, fortress balance sheets that have shown sustainable growth and have a use case now and in the future. So basically, technology has to be viewed as a different sort of component in your portfolio. Before, they were the source of growth in your portfolio. And now, Bonwin, it sounds like you're saying they're, they're a, a defensive say, like a, I don't want to say a staple because maybe that's overstating it, but sort of an anchor position. It's not going to move too much, but it's not going to burn you. Exactly. A name like Microsoft, I, I still think you can have it as a store of value, right? So uh, again, it's just really having to kind of revamp one's playbook in the situation that we're in. The, the rate 
acceleration and the pace at which rates have accelerated mm-hmm. has led to all this volatility. Right. I don't expect that to continue to persist. You know, I think it's interesting what Bonowin said in terms of we're not going to be in a pandemic again, knock on wood, because we don't really know that. But we, we hope we aren't going to be in a pandemic again. And that was the context for this massive run in technology. Well, we're not going to be coming out of a pandemic again, Steve Grasso. So in terms of the cyclical right. trade, at some point, doesn't it price in this this huge amount of growth, pent up demand, all that stimulus, the savings that, that people have stored away around the world? That's going to happen once. Right. And then wane. Right. So l- let me just give a ca- caveat before I enter that one. I think you can make the case that Apple, Google, to agree with Bono and, and, and Nadine and the general, Apple, Google, you can make a case, and Microsoft, that they are value plays within tech. They should therefore get hit the least out of that tech complex. But when you talk about pent-up demand, Melissa, we've never come out of a pandemic. So no one has any clue what the pe- uh, pent-up demand is going to be. So I think it's going to outpace everybody's uh, sort of intuition as to how big it's going to be. Could you imagine? People are going to be taking trips they never even thought about taking. People are going to be going out to dinner. I, I'm seeing highways crowded, sidewalks crowded, stores crowded, restaurants crowded, all within legal li- limits, of course. But there's going to be so much more than any of us can possibly imagine. So to put a tag on it, and, and by the way, couple that with the fact that cyclicals and uh, value stocks have underperformed for the last 15 years. So once everyone starts to take a look at what a cyclical and what a real diversified chemical right. and what a material stock looks but like, then you're going to start to you, see how you it are making the case. You are making the case that people are making for technology and valuations during the pandemic, which is valuations, I don't want to say don't matter, but valuations matter less because you're saying there is no playbook here. We don't know how brisk the business is going to be. And so therefore, you, you can't you can't judge a stock by what it's trading at right now or what it's pricing in for the future. Correct. I, I, I think that you are going to see that this economy blow through the roof. The most consensus view and, and I'm guilty of it, too. I'm waiting for that sell off to happen. The problem is things look too good in the economy. You're going to have a blow through the roof economy that's going to trip over itself Mm. and the most unconsensus thing uh, a non-consensus thing is that the uh, S&P looks like you're going to rip through 4,000 and get to 4,500. Nobody's saying that except for a handful of people. All right well there were a few standout stocks in today's record rally so we want to see um, if you guys like them. Names like John Deere, GM, Goldman Sachs, DraftKings hitting their highest levels on record. Have these stocks, though, gone ahead of themselves? Let's find out in a good old-fashioned game of... Trade it or fade it! That's right. Never gets old. Trade it or fade it. The record high club. Let's start off with Deere up 37% this year. Nadine, trade it or fade it? I think you trade it on the intermediate term, but you fade it today. We're looking at a risk range uh, that we have internally of five to one to the downside. So you obviously don't want to buy into that, but you do want to hold this for an intermediate term trade if you can get it. All right, Bonowin, what do you say? I think you've got to fade this thing. It's up about 40% since January. It's up up above its pre-pandemic highs. Its price to earnings are above its pre-pandemic highs. I mean, this to me is an example of a, a lack of value within value. All right. Let's move on to DraftKings. That is up 54% this year. Steve Grasso. 
I'm going to say fade this one. Now, I get the whole idea of why it's been popular, and I, and, and I, I do understand that uh, we're starting to see sports open back up, and that's seen as a tailwind. But I think the biggest tailwind for the stock has probably lost its steam. I'd rather go with the more traditional casino players, like a Penn Gaming, an MGM, ver- on a, an economy reopening versus an online uh, thing like DraftKings. Fade. I'm going to guess that Jeff Mills thinks you're wrong. Jeff, what do you say? <laughs> I am going to trade this one. It, it's been a really interesting stock, actually. It's bucked the trend. Bonowin said it during our call, our call earlier today. But, you know, these really high-flying growth names, Penn was down today. A lot of other stocks like that were down. DraftKings was up. And, you know, although I can understand the view that, you know, at over $70, it's pricing in some of this news, but massive pent-up demand after this next stimulus bill. You're talking about $2 trillion in excess consumer savings. You have the stimulus checks rolling out. And I just think there, there's an underestimation of what this market's going to look like. If you go to the Super Bowl, you couldn't even log into FanDuel, Penn, DraftKings. I mean, not a good look for the companies at that point in time. But you're talking about a 60-plus percent increase in, in online gambling around the Super Bowl. I just think there's a lot of room here, and you still have a ton of uh, legal catalysts in terms of legislation getting passed. All right, let's get to our next stock, Darden Restaurants, the owner, owner of Olive Garden. Nadine, what do you say? You know, you trade it on the intermediate term, it's going to keep with the reopening plays, but then you got to fade it on the near term. Again, five to one downside. They're going to have trouble hiring people. Food and labor costs are going up. And then they're digital. They're planned for digital here. What they've learned recently is that people want to go to their restaurants. They don't want to take it out. And so as people come back into the restaurant, vaccines are given and, you know, you get your two-month wait, what you're going to find is that people will start cannibalizing one part of their business for the other. Jeff. So I'm going to trade a quick anecdotal example. But if you go back to the summertime, Fogo de Chao, the Brazilian steakhouse, when, when, when we got the first stimulus, they were starting to initially ease COVID restrictions. They usually sell about 500 premium steaks a week. They were selling 1,300 a week at that point in time. So obviously anecdotal, but I do think it's emblematic of the, of the kind of spending that we're going to see. And specifically with Darden, you know, they've been doing a really good job controlling costs. They have a diversified group of pretty well-known brands. I think if you look out to 22, where earnings will be a little bit more normalized, I think the valuation makes sense. All right. Finally, General Motors is up 40 percent this year. Bono and trade it or fade it. Uh, I'm trading this one, and I think this falls squarely into exactly what Steve has come up here and said time and time again. This is a name. You've seen strength in durables. It's set up for to take advantage of EV, and it has a logistical prowess to be able to take advantage of what we're going to see in demand going forward. I'm trading this one. Hats off to Steve. All right. Coming up, a major cybersecurity firm is warning a massive hack attack could be coming within the next few hours. How you can protect yourself and your information. We've got the full report next and later. We've got a chart of the week for you. The stock is rallying 21 percent since Monday. We'll reveal the name in the trade when Fast Money returns. The market doesn't joke around. So why would you get serious? Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're following new developments on that massive hack attack. One top cybersecurity firm issuing a major warning tonight. Let's get to Eamon Javers with all the details. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, here's something to keep an eye on as we head into the weekend here. A warning now from Mandiant, their vice president, John Holtquist, uh, pointing out the possibility now of potential ransomware attacks. Here's his statement. He says, we are anticipating more exploitation of the exchange vulnerabilities by ransomware actors in the near term. Though many of the still unpatched organizations may have been exploited by cyber espionage actors, criminal ransomware operations may pose a greater risk as they disrupt organizations and even extort victims by releasing stolen emails. So this is all the follow-up to that Microsoft Exchange hack that we saw reported on so extensively last week. Over at the White House today, we saw the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, admitting that the administration is still struggling to get its arms around the scale and scope of this entire hack. Here's what he said. The precise number of systems that have been exposed by this vulnerability and have been exploited either by nation-state threat actors or ransomware hackers or others, that is something that we are urgently working with the private sector to determine. Uh, It is certainly the case that that malign actors are still in some of these Microsoft Exchange systems, which is why we have pushed so hard to get those systems patched. So Sullivan there saying the bad guys are still in a lot of these servers. We think the cybersecurity industry broadly thinks that those bad guys are the Chinese. The White House not pointing the finger specifically to the Chinese government just yet, saying attribution is still to come. But the way this ransomware works, Melissa, is that the companies that are being hit hard by it may already know that they've been hit hard by it. And someone is extorting them already, demanding payment or else threatening to leak the emails, mm-hmm. you know, we could see that start to happen in the coming days if those companies decide, you know what, we're just not going to pay these extortionists. Eamon, quick question. I read that, uh, that about a third of the vulnerable Microsoft Exchange customers have not yet patched their systems yet. This is according to BitSites. And I'm wondering at this point with this warning, if they went ahead and patched their systems, if that could protect them from this, this next layer. Well, it's something that you have to do, and the White House is urging everybody to patch their systems to pay attention to what the Microsoft warnings were on this. They put out exactly what you need to do. But, you know, in many ways, patching your systems now is a little bit like locking your front door with the burglar still in the house, right? It's going to prevent the other burglars from getting in, but it doesn't do anything about the guy hiding in your closet. You still have to go through your entire house and make sure that there's nobody else left inside. And if you find somebody, throw them out the window. That's kind of where we're at. You have to lock the door and you have to search the closets. All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers saying on top of the story for us this week, uh, cybersecurity names, a lot of them have done quite well. FireEye for one is about uh, 8%, 9%. Jeff Mills, um, hacks like this, does this underscore, well, obviously it underscores the need for cybersecurity. Does it get corporations to increase spending? Uh, No doubt. And whether it's now or later, companies are going to have to increase spending. I mean, this is the new front line. This is not going anywhere. And companies that are exposed to it are are subject to a massive growth tailwind. I even think about a company like Palantir. We talk about it a lot on the show. And, you know, at its core, 
cybersecurity risk is data related. And to be able to get a view of your network in real time and to be able to figure out where the vulnerabilities are, I think a company like Palantir can continue to do really well. And that stock showed me something these past few weeks. We talked about 22 as being that support level. Mm -hmm. It held really nicely as some of those SPAC type names uh, were not doing so well. So I'd feel pretty comfortable buying it here. A lot of these names that might get caught up in sort of the software sell-off trend or the high multiple name trend, Nadine. So would you still stick with them as a group or do they get swept up? This is exactly the type of business you then want to trade, right? So even if you do have a broad brush day where all tech goes down, what you're seeing, what Steve is saying here, is that there's a secular trend. This is not something that was just a beneficiary of the pandemic. Um, and there's going to be increased growth and need for companies to spend on it, to train on it. Um, and it, obviously, the increase in data and the need for data centers and for software in those data centers, it just gets exponential. So we like these types of businesses. It is something that you can hold on to and then buy the dips. Up next, we'll reveal our chart of the week. This stock taking flight and rallying more than 20% since Monday. Whoops, that was a clue. We'll reveal this high flyer when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Town to reveal our chart of the week. This stock some seeing some serious altitude since Monday. It's Boeing. That's right. The aerospace company rallying more than 20% with travel rebounding and orders for the 737 MAX increasing. Grasso, it's almost like a trade it or fade it, basically. Yeah. But, um, you know, would you stick with this one? So this is one, if you look at it on a chart, it built a, a heck of a base uh, where things were probably unknown. And now you're starting to see the opening, reopening of the economy. Uh, if you chart this one on, I like, I, I like uh, looking at the FIB levels, Fibonacci retracement levels. And if you go to the prior high before the pan- pandemic started to the pandemic low, you come up with a 50% retracement that's at $267. So the stock is above that now. Technicians like to sell the stock between the 50 and the 618. The 618 is about $309, so you have some room to the upside. I would still stay in the, tra- in the trade, so trade it. Bonwin, what would you say? I'm happy to miss this one. I think this is testament to the reopening trade, but the, the whole enterprise value swelling because of ballooning debt balances gives me pause. I'm happy to raise my hand and say, you know what, I'll just miss it. <laughs> Jeff Mills, just quickly, I mean, would, you, here's a, would you rather Boeing or an airline <laughs> stock? Yeah, per- perfect question, because I've been saying I would rather play airlines to get that beta of increased travel uh, and just the reopening trade in general. But the fa- my favorite airline, which is Southwest, which I've been talking about for a number of months, that's now above its pre-pandemic highs. So I think there's actually more room in Boeing here. Huh? All right. Time for the final trade for this Friday. Let's go around the horn. Nadine Terman, what do you say? It's a do-free on the, on the flight topic here. Got to love the duty-free shopping. They've upgraded the shopping areas. And so as luxury travelers get going, this one's going to win. All right. Fanawin. Speaking of the reopening trade, I do think that you can play momentum in the cruise lines. Carnival Cruise is my preference there, but I'd be trading that. Steve Grasso. I'm staying solid with SPACs. WPF is due for a heck of a bounce. It's time to end this silly underperformance WPF buy it. General, Jeff, Jeff Mills. So I like Illumina. They are the global leader in DNA sequencing. I actually fast pitched the stock a few months back. It had a huge run. 
It's come back a bunch. It held really nicely at long-term technical support, so I would definitely be a buyer here. All right. Thanks, all. That does it for us here on Fast Money. We'll see you back here Monday at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Options action is up right after this quick break. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.